If people only knew us by our social media accounts, what would they learn? On social media, no one ever has a bad day. Family vacations go perfectly. Our days are spent relaxing and playing. Everyone gets along all the time. But what about the space between the joy and fun? What do our families look like when we're not in front of the camera? The times when we're most vulnerable? No more carefully staged moments. No more filters. Let's talk about the real stories behind the crafted pictures we let the world see. Welcome this morning, glad you're here. Welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or one of the venues here at Long Point on the internet. We're glad you're here too. Those of you who are here in person in Charleston, thank you for dropping by on the way to the beach uh, on Labor Day weekend. What a beautiful weekend it is after a storm. That's almost, uh, almost kind of a, a visual picture when you go through a storm. Sometimes you wonder if it'll ever end and then there's just beauty on the other side of it, and we've experienced that uh, this weekend. How many of you are single? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are single? Okay, large, large number. Um, in fact, um, fewer people are getting married, and they're waiting longer to do it these days. In fact, um, this is a social phenomena that over the last 50 years has... Uh, so rapidly changed that it's probably, you know, and technology and all that's changed and things are changing, but uh, it, the social phenomena around singleness and marriage, waiting longer to get married, is probably uh, a greater speed than at any time in history. In fact, you take centuries of history, more has happened in the last 50 years than in than probably most of history combined. In fact, let's just take a look at some statistics. Um, in 1960, 50 years ago, 50, what, six years ago now, 72 people were married. 72 or 72 people were married. <laughs> Give me some grace. It's my third service. 72% of the people were married. Another 15% were divorced or separated. No, 5% were divorced or separated. The rest were widows who never married, okay? In 2010, 51% were married. And um, actually, 2014, uh, the number has changed to where almost 51% are single now. So singles outnumber uh, married uh, people in America. And then in 1960, men married at age 23, women at age 20, that was the average. In 2010, men were married at age 29 and women at 26, so they're waiting longer. In 1960, this is an amazing statistic, 60% of the people between 20 and 24 had married. So if you're between 20 and 24, most of your, most of your friends are married, okay? 60%. Uh, 2010, 14% of people between 20 and 24 had married. So does that mean that young people are loving Jesus, staying pure, and using their extra years to grow like Jesus? <laughs> Not so much. No, they're having sex, living together, and thumbing their nose at God's standards in this area. Now, this is what's interesting, though, and I probably should have done some more research. I'm just gonna throw you some stuff that I 
I know to be true, don't have the figures. But when you look at this kind of thing, what you do is you go, okay, is it helping or hurting? Okay, you know, are the trends that we're in a good thing or not a good thing? Is it, so um, are, are marriages happier? Is there less divorce? Is this, is this helping or hurting? And I, we can look at statistics and so it's not, it's, it's not helping. Okay, so, so it, and, and one of the reasons is because it's not necessarily how God uh, designed us. The Bible is, is uh, very clear about marriage. It's clear about singleness. And we're in a series right now that we're calling InstaFam. This is the last message in it. And kind of the premise of the whole series is nobody's perfect. We know that. There are no perfect family pictures. You take one and there's always a flaw. And uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, we talked the first week about imperfect families and how God redeems our stories, regardless of where the story is. Uh, we talked the second week about marriage and his design for marriage. We talked about families, parents, uh, parenting, kids last week. And this week we're gonna talk to singles. And there are no perfect singles. Your story is unique in and of itself. Um, and I wanna say to you up front, my purpose is not to condemn, I don't do that. Uh, it's to encourage and to bless. And what we're gonna do today is it's just gonna be real, real uh, practical. I don't know if it's real inspirational or not. It's real practical. We're gonna go verse by verse through uh, a, a fairly significant a biblical chapter about being single and see what we can learn. I called it single and loving it because I think that's what God created us to be uh, is to love wherever it, it is that we are. And if you're single, I wanna help you to love that right now, uh, especially if you're having a challenge with that. But we're gonna start with a scripture on marriage because it's kind of a foundation to everything. And it's Hebrews chapter 13 and verse four. And it says this, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Several things in here. Number one, it says give honor to marriage. Single people need to give honor to marriage. Married people need to honor it. It's a good thing. It's to be honored. In fact, in Genesis chapter two, in the whole creation story, God creates, you know, the earth says it's good, creates animals, it's good, fish, it's good, all of that. Creates man by himself, says this is not good. This is not good. And so what he's saying is that singleness and that situation was not ideal, especially for men, because men are oftentimes a mess by themselves. Can you imagine what the world would be like if Adam was left to his own design? He would have messed the place up. Um, I remember being single myself. Um, Debbie rescued me from, I had uh, seven friends living in a crash pad. And uh, we would just move from place to place to place. We never got our damage deposit back. Do you understand what I'm saying there? <laughs> never. And, you know, it wasn't always the same seven guys. It'd be, you know, this guy and his girlfriend. And, you know, it's just, it was just awful. I was in a band and it was, it, was, it was not good. Most of us drove motorcycles and we would keep them in the house, not in the garage. My motorcycle was parked in my bedroom in the house. And, um, and we had one of these uh, grills that you cook out on, you know, like uh, we called it in Colorado where I grew up barbecuing. It's not barbecuing like South Carolina, but you just had a gas grill. We loved to cook out on our gas grill in. It was in the house. We would cook on the gas grill. 
in the house. I would wear the same jeans for days, sometimes weeks, because I liked them. And uh, every once in a while, somebody's girlfriend would come over and wash clothes, and it was an awesome day. But we were a mess. Marriage is good. Marriage is good. First Timothy 4, um, Paul tells the young pastor, he says, there is a teaching out there that prohibits marriage, and he says it's demonic because God created marriage. Marriage is to be held in honor. Here's the second thing that this verse tells us is that God will surely judge people who are immoral. What does that mean, immoral? Immoral comes from the word pornos. We know what pornos is, pornography. So what is he saying? Is he saying that God will judge those who look at nasty pictures? Well, probably, but back then they didn't have the nasty pictures we have today. So it was a broader term. And what pornos refers to is sex outside of marriage. It's, it's a broad, broad, broad word. Then it says, God will surely judge those who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And adultery uh, is a Greek word, um, uh, macheo, and it's anybody who's unfaithful to a spouse. And then the third, or the fourth word I want you to look at, and that's judge, judge. Because it says, God will surely judge people who are having sex outside of marriage, either with somebody else's spouse or in, in any form uh, outside of marriage. God will judge them. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that anybody who is involved in sexual activity outside of marriage and adultery is going to hell? Is that what that means? I don't think so. Here's what I think it means. This scripture is talking to the church, okay? The church. He's talking to Christians. How do you become a Christian? By doing a lot of good things? No. By doing everything right? No. You become a Christian by trusting Jesus Christ to forgive your sin and that his work at the cross was sufficient for you, okay? That's how you become a Christian. And if you do... You're in God's family, and you'll live forever with him. And so he's talking to Christians, and he's saying to Christians, gang, you ought to be honoring marriage. Some of you aren't, and if you aren't, God's going to judge you. But what does that mean? Um, I have grandkids. I'll sometimes go over to my kid's house, see a grandkid sitting kind of off to themselves with their hands folded like this. Um, I, what that means is that they are in timeout. Okay? And so I'll go over to play with them and they'll scold me. No, 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 no. You don't be playing with them. They are in timeout. Why are they in timeout? Because they did something wrong. Are they in timeout because mom and dad hate them? Well, maybe. No, no, no. <laughs> and we're imperfect. And so it's an imperfect view of how God does, but it's kind of an analogy in a sense. They are in timeout because they are doing something that is detrimental to their best interest and to the interest of the family. And so mom and dad want them to be in a place of blessing and to be a blessing, and so they have to discipline them, give them time out every once in a while. It's the same thing here. God says, I have an order, I have a structure, I have, I've created 
relationship. I've created the sexual relationship. I didn't make a mistake with that. It's good. It's awesome. But when you mess with it, you mess up community. You mess up yourself. And so I'm going to give you a timeout. And in timeout, oftentimes, the way you know you're in timeout is life's not going well for you. Okay? Life's not going well in this area or in another area. And God is saying, it's not because I hate you. It's because I want to bless you. God wants you to live a blessed life. I believe that. I believe God wants us to be blessed in our coming in, blessed in our going. He wants us to be blessed in everything that we do. Does that mean that there will not be hard times in our life? No, not at all. This is like, this isn't heaven. This is Mount Perfect, okay, here. And so you're gonna have hard times. But you can be blessed. Has anybody ever been blessed in a hard time? You can be blessed in difficult times, blessed in in great times. God wants you to live within his cone of blessing, his his place of blessing. And, And when you violate the known will of God in any area of your life, you're gonna be judged. There's gonna be God's judgment, not only here, but you lose rewards later. Does it mean that you're separated from God forever? No. Now, let me just give one warning, and that's this. If you constantly thumb your nose at God over whatever it happens to be, his sexual mores or anything that's very, very clear in God's work, you constantly just go, I'm gonna do my own thing. I don't, I don't like those scriptures. I'm just not gonna do it. You may not be a believer, okay? And that's a problem because Jesus said that in the last days there will be people that will come to him and say, I called you Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I didn't know you. You weren't part of the family. I think those are people who talked a good game but thumbed their nose at, at God's uh, will in their life and work in, in, in their life. And he says, depart from me. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. And so, so I want you to feel secure in one sense, that when God judges the church in areas, he's not talking about You know, well, you're going to hell if you don't abide by this. But if you just thumb your nose at at God's known will, you you may not be a believer. You may not be a part of what God's saying. Does that make sense? Okay, so from there, what I want to do is I want to say that there are a growing number of people inside and outside the church who are thumbing their nose at God and not experiencing his blessing. I want you to experience his blessing. And so we're going to study 1 Corinthians 7, what it says about being single. You say, you know what, I'm married I'll just check my Facebook status all during the service. Well, and some of you do that anyway. But just tell people where you're at. Hey, I'm at church. This is good. You ought to come. Then it can be a blessing. But no, I want you to listen. Here's what I want you to listen. I'm going to give you a fact here. If you're married today, you will probably be single at some point in your life. Really? Boy, that's encouraging. You know, the other day, the other day, I read this story of this uh, couple that were, they were like, they've been married like 60 years, and they died within four hours of each other. Did you guys read that? I told Debbie, I'm claiming that right now. That's what I want for us, but the reality is it doesn't happen hardly at all. One or the other of you will probably go at some point, and you'll be single. You need this information. You need to listen, and you know single people in your house. What does the Bible say? Single and loving it. Here we go. Number one, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Paul gives some very straightforward advice to singles. Here's what he says. He says, so I say to those who aren't married, 
and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. I can remember as a kid thinking that was a hot, hot verse. You know, we'd talk to my friends. You see that one? Burn, you know. Better to marry than, than burn. Yeah, right. <clears throat> what, what he's saying, just frankly, is if, if you don't do sexual purity well, you need to work toward getting married. Get a plan. Find a, a guy or a girl, set a date. Get some marriage counseling. Get married. Because if you don't, if you don't do sexual purity well, you will burn with lust, you will live with frustration, you will get into sexual sin, you will feel guilty when you do, you will hook up with the wrong people, you will make a mess and leave a trail of broken hearts. This isn't my first rodeo. I've been pastor for 28 years. And have I seen that fulfilled over and over and over again? So the sooner the better. Be honest with yourself is what Paul's saying. Be honest with yourself. Uh, I was having coffee with an old friend of mine. He's old. He's about 10 years older than me. And we've been friends for just almost since that, those first surveys. Uh, we grew up in, in Colorado. And, and uh, we're having coffee talking about the old days. And he didn't get married until he was 31. And it was on purpose. He made a commitment I, because back then, you got married a whole lot earlier. He made a commitment. I don't get married until I'm 30. And we were at least 30. And so we were talking about that. And there's a reason for it. I'll tell you later. But he, uh, he did single well. He didn't run around. He was a heartthrob. I mean, the girls loved him. But he didn't run around, sleeping around, breaking hearts, leaving a trail of destruction. He did single well. He honored God with his sexuality while he was single. Wasn't married until he was 31. Why did I get married at 20? <laughs> I wasn't real good at controlling myself. Should I have been? Yes. But should'ves and could'ves are great, but they aren't reality. All I'm telling you is if you want to honor God, be honest. Be honest. Where are you at? Make a plan. If, if this is you, make a plan. Work on yourself. That's the first part of the plan. Tear up your list. You know, you've got a list of what you want to see. And so if you just tear it up. Nobody's perfect. You become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Does that make sense? You become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Work on yourself. You'll never be perfect. You'll never be good enough. Okay, just understand that. And then the second thing you do in making a plan is commit to courtship and not dating. Courtship and not dating. What do I mean by that? Let's, let's define it. What is dating? Dating is private, okay? Nobody else's business. It's just me and her, me and him, you know? It's just us. Um, hi, you're hot. Want to get in my car? Let's go break a few commandments. It's private. Okay? There's no goal. There's no goal. Other than, you know, landing a hot chick or a cute guy for the night. You know, that's just the goal. We're gonna, just going to date. Um, 
relationships are open. We, uh, you can see other people, I'm gonna see other people. We're just gonna have fun. And nobody has a right to speak into our relationship. We're adults, nobody else's business, we'll do what we wanna do. That's dating. Courtship is this. First of all, it's public. It's not a secret. It's overseen. There are referees. They can drop a flag, illegal use of hands, you know, whatever. It's just, <laughs> you've, got, you've got family involved. You've got friends involved. You've got church people involved. You know, maybe you're a small group. Listen, if you are hiding your dating life or whatever, you're in for a world of hurt. In fact, I think that on any decision that you make. Somebody just pops a decision out. They were in their cave. And this is what I'm gonna do, and I'm not gonna talk to people about it. It's because you're afraid of something. And fear is not, fear's not a good motivator in anything. You're afraid of something, and you're afraid, it begins with you're afraid that God is the cosmic party pooper, and he'll rain on your parade, and he doesn't want what's best for you. He'll give you a snake instead of good things, Jesus said. So you gotta have a right theology that God loves you and he wants the best for you. And, and so, and so d don't hide, you know, make it public and, and, and it's public overseas. Secondly, there, there's a goal. And the goal of courtship is this. Are you the person that I'm gonna marry? Are you the person that I'm gonna marry? So several years ago when my kids were growing up in the home, one of my daughters, I don't wanna embarrass her, her initials are Jenny, but anyway, she, <clears throat> she, was, she was dating a guy that was not the guy that Debbie and I had been praying for since before she was married that would be her potential spouse. And so I didn't know what to do. So I just said, I'm gonna bring him in, talk to him. So I said, hey, will you tell him I want an appointment with him so I can get to know him better? And so he made an appointment and I made him sit out in the lobby for a little while longer, just sweat him a little bit. And then uh, brought him into the office, and I said, you probably want to know why you're here. Um, it's because I want, to, uh, I want to get to know you better. Debbie and I have been praying for a spouse, for our daughter, for years and years and years, and I want to know if you're the one. He said, am I the one? He said, we're just dating. And I said, that's the point. Uh, and I told him, dating has a goal, courtship. It's... You date somebody to see if they are the one exclusive, are the one I'm gonna get married to. It's not just to go have fun, and uh, can be fun, but it's not, that's, you know, I, I sense that you don't understand that. And so actually what we're gonna do is we're gonna determine if you are even eligible to date my daughter. <laughs> and I won't go through that whole thing. That was, it's a great message. I give it when I'm away from here, sometimes at men's events and stuff. But it was so much fun for me. And... <laughs> At the end of the, the session, we determined, I determined that he was not eligible. And uh, so, anyway, whatever. And it worked out great. Ben is awesome. So anyway, there's a goal. And then uh, third, it's, it's exclusive. You don't see other people. It's not like a used car lot. You go kick the tires a little bit, see it, drive it for a little while, see if this is the one that I wanna be with, okay? Um, so, and you look in the right places. You look in the right places. Uh, guys, they're not at Hooters. That's not where they are. It's in church. Where, where do you find guys and girls? Where do you find? In church. A church like Seacoast is full of wonderful single people. Some online dating services. Not all of them. Some online dating services. I uh, did an interview for a podcast that I do a couple of weeks ago with a guy that 
created one of the big online dating services that, that it's a Christian one. And um, it, it's really valid. It's a, it's a great, great um, place. And groups of friends, uh, you can look in the right places. But the point is, I gotta move on. Be honest, be honest, okay? That's the first point. If you can't stay sexually pure, which is your other option, you need to get married. You need to get married, be, be honest. Uh, number two, be wise about your circumstances. Be wise. Look at what Paul says. Now, regarding your questions about the young women who are not yet married, I don't have a command from the Lord for them. Here, here's what's going on here. Apparently, this is a Q&A, okay? Somebody sent in a question to him about young women who aren't married, and he says, uh, you know, I don't have a command from the Lord. Jesus didn't talk about this specifically. That's what he's saying. I don't know. Jesus didn't talk about this. But he goes on and he says, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. And I'll share it with you. He says, I think I have a word. I think I've got wisdom on this. May not be a word from Jesus, but he says, I think I've got wisdom on this. And here's what he says. He says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. Paul's not saying marriage is a lesser form of relationship than singleness. You should be like me and remain all of your life unmarried. I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's saying that single is varsity and marriage is junior varsity. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's a crisis right now. There's a crisis. Something's going on in their culture that makes singleness more uh, of a more preferable state. It could have been a famine that we know was going on during that time. It could very well have been the fact that Nero was psycho. And Nero is the ruler of Rome and he's getting ready to just do some horrible, nasty things to Christians. And he says, this isn't a good time to get married. Could have been a lot of those things. So, so he says, um, is that right? Is that the next thing? Yeah, if... if uh, if you have a wife, he says, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time, at what time? During this crisis, whatever the crisis was, he says, we'll have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. He says it's not gonna last long. I think he, th he thinks Jesus is coming uh, right away. Uh, we know that Jesus didn't come in his lifetime, but we do know that some of the crisis situations that he was referring to, um, they, they moved through it and they passed through. But he's saying this is a bad time to get married. So you need to ask yourself, is this the best time? Be wise. Is this the best time to be thinking about getting married? Is there a current crisis? Let me give you some. If you're in college and you don't have any money, have you know that is a crisis? Okay, not a good time. If you're working through an addiction, that's not a good time. If you're on a career track that's non-adjustable for marriage, and you just want to try to fit a marriage in to the current career track that you're on and and you're traveling, it's crazy, not a good time. Or if he just cheated on you. I've seen, I've seen especially females feel like, well, he, yeah, but if we were married, he wouldn't do that. Mm, not good. No, that's a crisis. 
uh, or you've just come through another difficult relationship. We call that a rebound, and it doesn't work well, usually. Or if your family or friends, those who are close to you, say, I'm not sure this is the right deal, it might not be the right time. It doesn't mean that you just keep living together, having sex till the crisis goes away, because God's judgment is there. Remember that first scripture. You don't wanna live under the judgment in a time out from God. So be honest about yourself. Be wise about your current circumstances. And let me give you a third thing about being single and loving it, is be radically devoted with your time. Be radically devoted with your time. Look what Paul says. Verse 32. I wanna be free, or I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. He's talking to guys here. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Are there any testimonies from marriage, married men that that's the truth? See, men, your lives change when you get married. You can't play on three softball teams when you're married. Not for very long. You won't be married for very long. You can't fish all night long every Friday night. You can't hang out with the guys anytime you want. You cannot leave your underwear on the floor in the closet until wash day. You just can't do that and be married. <laughs> I was, uh, this weekend, we had at least two babies born in the church, probably more, but two that I'm fairly close to. One of them was one of our worship leaders had a baby. The other is a couple that I married that this is their first child. And they both happened on the same day, same time, in the same hospital, and they're friends. So Debbie and I went up yesterday to see them, and um, it's always awkward. I don't go up to see babies often, unless they're my own, because it's just an awkward time. You know, it's like, sometimes you're like, friends, I love you, but please go away. You know, we're trying to learn this whole deal, all that kind of stuff, so and you never know what you're gonna walk in on. And so we went to the door, and I said, Deb, you knock, check it out, see if it's okay, I'll come in. So we knocked on the door. She said, it's okay. So I walked in, not knowing what I see. And so I walk in, and here's a bassinet. And brand new mamas on one side, brand new daddies on the other side. Haven't been married all that long. She's holding their brand new kid by the legs, the diaper's off, and he is over here uh, cleaning stuff. And it's obvious to me that this may very well be the first diaper that he has ever, ever done. And this guy, he's an incredible guy, sportsman, all this kind of, you know. And I'm thinking, if only his friends could see him now. Because, you know, it won't be too long. He'll find himself standing by a toilet, cheering as a two-year-old drops a deuce, you know. <laughs> and then you will Instagram it. Yeah, yeah. Or, or there, there'll come a time when he'll wake up in the middle of the night, realize it's his turn to check on the baby. And she will have channeled her inner Picasso, drawing on the wall, using what she's just found in her diaper. Yeah. You will hold your nose, you will scream, and you will Instagram it, because that's what happens these days. Your single friends will think you've lost your mind. You will find yourself spending a lot of time decorating things. Before, it didn't matter if it matched. The only thing that mattered is, do you like it? Now it has to match. You'll buy stuff that you think you don't need with all of your discretionary funds. 
You think all you need is a couch, a TV, outdoor grill, a fridge, and a bed. She will want much more than that. Even after 40 years, she continues to want much more than that. So if you're married, you'll learn to manage this tension that single people don't have, frankly. Single man is free to respond in radical ways to God. If there's a need in a third world country that requires more than a week, single guy, go for it. You can do it. In fact, my buddy that got married at 30, the reason he did, he got married at 31, but he said he dedicated the first 30 years of his life to God is because he wanted to go to India. And he went to India and he lived there and he made a massive difference. And now he is a hero in India. He did it because he could. He was single. He was unattached. I remember when my son Jason announced he was going to move to Guatemala and live in Guatemala for a while. He could do it. Could he do it today? Probably not. Because if you're married, it's going to be tougher. Short-term mission trips. We say, you know, we're going to do a medical mission trip to somewhere, you know. Single guy goes, that sounds cool. I'm going to respond. Married guy has to check birthdays, anniversaries, carpools, family responsibilities, all that kind of stuff. Volunteer at the church. I thank God for the singles in our church. I thank God for the single men who are investing their time, especially in student ministries and with the kids and all of that. And it's just, it's just amazing. And so then Paul has a word for the women. He said, in the same way, a woman who has no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. How many married ladies would say, your life changed when you got married? It's not just you and Jesus anymore. It's you, you, you gotta love and serve and sacrifice for the man in your life. <laughs> Paul said, single ladies, do you really wanna marry? Men smell funny. They leave toilet seats up. They miss the trash when they clip their nails. They clean fish in the sink. They think body noises are funny. They scratch themselves. Paul says, do you really want one of these in the house? <laughs> Sometimes women are idealistic about what it would be like to have a man. I hear this. I hear this. I'm lonely. I would so love to be married. I don't want, I don't want to make light of that at all. I don't want to make light of those feelings. But can I tell you there are things worse than being single and lonely? Being married and lonely? Being married and married to the wrong person? Or married to someone who never grows up? Yeah. So Paul says this. He's saying, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Paul says, recognize that your singleness in this season is a blessing, not a burden. You're free. You're free to serve. You're free to serve in the Dream Center. You're free to serve in children's ministry and student ministry. You're free to go on short-term mission trips or long-term mission trips. You're free to change the world in ways that married people can't to give significantly toward the cause of Christ. And when you're married, frankly, you give up some of those freedoms in time and in resources. And so if you're not married during this season, this may be the most important thing I say. You might want to write it down. If you're not married right now, ask God, what is it that you want me to do that I couldn't do 
if I was married right now? What is it? You want to know why you're single? God, what is it that I couldn't do if I was married right now? What can I do that I couldn't do? Okay? You can travel. You can do missions. You can volunteer. God hasn't cursed you. You're not in a holding pattern somewhere. You are free to serve him. You are free to make a difference, and we are grateful for you in this church. And so, be honest, be wise, be devoted. Let me give you one more. Um, and it's be considerate of your fiance. Be considerate of your fiance. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes, it is not a sin. What does that mean? In fact, what does it mean treating his fiance improperly? What does that mean? Let me give you two scenarios. The word fiance, engaged to be married. And let's say that, guys, you have given her a ring, but you haven't set a date. Maybe, well, we're gonna get married someday. We're gonna married a year from now or two years from now or whatever. No. That's treating her and treating your fiance improperly, okay? Let me give you another one. You sh she, she should be a fiance by now. You've been dating or courting for long enough. She's wondering when you're gonna ask. She's in a holding pattern that's unfair and it's improper. Make up your mind. Now, there may be legitimate reasons. You may need a little bit more work on yourself personally. Understand this, you will never be perfect and neither will your future spouse. Um... You may need a better job. Your job's not conducive to marriage right now, but just how, how, how good of a job do you need can be an excuse. Just communicate. Usually the reasons are illegitimate. Usually it's they're afraid of commitment or their parents got a divorce. Those aren't legit. Get a dose of courage. Make up your mind. Do I want to get married or not? Choose a team, wear a jersey, do one of the two, but don't lead her on. Don't be flirty and date around if you're not ready to get married. It's okay not to want to be married right now, but don't mess with somebody's heart is what Paul is saying. Don't act improperly. And then last scripture. He says, but if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there's no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. Paul says you are free to choose. Free to be married, free not to be married. Now, you're not free to be sexually active, confused about whether you should be married, breaking hearts, causing whoever you're involved with to seek years of therapy because you can't figure it out. Figure it out, okay? Do her a favor, figure it out. Get it done. This is actually the last verse. When a pastor says he's just about done means he's really not, but he's, I, I'm close. So the person who marries his fiance does well. And the person who doesn't marry does even better. You're free. Not free to break hearts, touch bodies, confuse people. You're free to marry or not marry. Free to serve God with abandon during this wonderful season called singleness. So if you're single, I want to challenge you to be honest, be wise, be radical, be considerate, be single and love it because God has a purpose for you.
and he loves you right where you are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for the wonderful people that gathered today to worship you. And we do worship you. You have incredible, incredible plans for our lives. God, you wanna bless us. And we wanna be in a place of blessing. So God, I pray that as we examine our hearts in the next few minutes, that there would be a, a soberness and there would be an anticipation of the good things that you have for us. So may your kingdom come and may your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.